This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Let's get to who pays for days. Yes. <laughs> Nothing will generate more conversation on Instagram other than like, who should pay for a first date? For myself in college, I was like, well, it's a free dinner, so I'm going to go. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. And, and was, yeah, an that can, exactly. That can like have you latching on to wrong person for wrong reasons. Let's take a breath. <sighs> Hi, guys. I'm Sydney Lodwaco and welcome to Something to Share. Every Wednesday, I share the mic with people you may recognize, experts in their fields, people I find inspirational, or people who make me laugh, like my fiance, Nick, giving them a platform to dive into the things that they really want to talk about. We all have something to share, something that we're going through, and something that we need to hear. So let's get started. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope that you're well wherever you are in the world. Thank you for being here. We have a great guest on today. Her name is Veronica Grant. She's actually a repeat something to share guest. I think a year ago we had her on. She is the love, safety, and belonging episode. I loved our conversation before with her. So when she reached back out about coming back on, because now she's doing more finance coaching, which also plays into relationship. And we're going to talk about all of that today because I have found through my history of dating and trying to better myself. There is this strange and very strong connection between love and money in our lives. And if that sounds like what, we're going to explain that all today in this episode. So I'll let Veronica do that because it's so fascinating. And I just think what she discusses in our conversation today is really going to help you guys push towards bettering yourself, whether you are working towards making more money in your life, asking for more from your job or from your boss or taking big opportunities in your business or career, or if you're looking to bring up tough conversations in relationship around money or figuring out how to navigate the finance of relationships because money is a part of everyday life. And especially when you're joining your life with another person's life, money is going to be at the root of a lot of your conversations. So we get to how to have those conversations, when to start talking about things like money, and even just like the common questions like who pays for first dates. It's a very fun episode. We go all over the map, whether you are single, dating, in a relationship, getting married, having kids, whatever. There's a lot in this episode for each and every one of you. So tune in for that. My something to share. I did a panel in Cincinnati a few weeks ago. It was a women's panel centered around the idea of alignment. I haven't been on a women's panel before, even though I speak often in front of people for a living doing this podcast, the people aren't in the room with me. So it is super nerve wracking 
getting in front of a group of people, big or small, but I'm very proud of myself, pushing myself out of my comfort zone. And I had such a blast. And the conversation was all around alignment and what to do when you feel out of alignment with your job or career or just life in general and some signs that you might be out of alignment. For me, when I know that I'm out of alignment, it's when I am all of a sudden uprooted and thrown out of my everyday things that I am used to or comfortable or my routines when I'm all of a sudden feels like the rug is pulled out from underneath me. That's usually when I am pushed in a completely different direction in my life. Usually it's out of nowhere and sometimes it's very upsetting and scary because there's so much unknown with that. Whenever I've had those huge uprooting moments in my life, I've looked back on them later and realized, oh, that was because I wasn't in alignment in some way and I needed to shift my life in a much different direction and I wasn't realizing that at the time. So whatever you believe in made sure that I quickly shifted and had to make different decisions and different plans for my life. And in those periods of uprooting, for example, like an opportunity gets taken away from you or something that was really exciting that you were about to take on in your life all of a sudden goes away or disappears or whatever, it can feel very scary, very frustrating, very annoying. But I bet if you look back at those times in your life when that's happened to you, those moments tend to be the most pivotal and the most life-changing. And usually great things come from that because you either had to learn something about yourself, you had to push yourself in a different direction, you had to work even harder at the things that you really wanted for your life. So they tend to be uneasy times, but usually the most growth happens from those moments of huge shifts. What's that saying like? A diamond is formed under pressure. What I shared in our little panel was the fact that we don't have to get to that point where we're completely uprooted in our lives if we're really finding alignment in our lives every single day. And if you don't know how to do that, I would take some time. Go, maybe you're journaling about it or you're just thinking about it or you take a walk where you just like are brainstorming with yourself or you go with a friend to coffee and you kind of bounce ideas off of each other. But what helps me when I feel like I don't know what decision to make or I want to make a change in my life, but I don't know what that change is, is I write down what it is that I'm really good at and what do people recognize as my gifts or my talents or things that come just generally really easy to me. And then the other side, I write down who I'm inspired by, what people in my life or people that I know about, maybe people on TV or social media that I just really like what they do or what their career is or what things they're producing in the world. And I get obsessed with those people and what their choices that they've made and how they got to the places that they are in their jobs, their careers, or whatever they're doing in their lives as a roadmap for how I can get there. So I kind of take those two lists, piece them together, and that helps me to start working towards that new goal or that new direction or towards the direction that I have been really inspired by that other people have taken. When you're in a moment of up-leveling or a lot of change is being forced upon you or you're being forced to make big change or take huge shifts in your life, I would say take those moments where you can really be clear on why this is happening or what good could come out of this maybe sad or scary or annoying situation. And then before just running in a new direction, just because you feel like you have to take some time and really figure out what you want now that this space has cleared out of your life, like what do you want to fill it with? How do you want to use this gift wrapped up in a giant change to ease your transition into whatever it is that you're wanting to do next? So that's my something to share for today. I hope that you're well. I hope that you love this episode with Veronica. I think she's awesome. I'm so glad that she came back. Please share it with a friend who needs to hear whatever we talk about in today's episode. If you think it would resonate with them, send it their way. As always, if you could tag us on social media at something to share podcast, we would love that. 
And I will share Veronica's older episode in the show notes and all of the information on her if you're wanting to work with her or reach out to her. And before you go, as always, if you could leave a five-star review, I would love you forever. Without further ado, guys, here is Veronica Grant. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. How have yeah, you been? I'm so excited to be here. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for coming back. Um, what have you been up to since we probably last saw you, heard from you? What's up? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm expecting a second baby this summer. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Um, so been busy planning for that. It feels like very similar, but then also very different from last time around. So that's been, you know, I'll just call it an adventure. Yeah, <laughs> that's an adventure. <laughs> Congratulations. That's so exciting. Yeah, since Thank I last you. talked to you, I'm getting married in a month. So look at us just moving forward in life. <laughs> yeah, I think you got engaged maybe. Okay, so this is when it was. I think you got engaged like right after. So it I think must I have been. Yeah, so it must have been like fall, like, oh winter, yeah. last uh, two years ago, almost or a year ago. Yeah. yeah. Are you excited? Of I'm, course you're excited. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, we just had our meeting with our like coordinator and it was like a three hour meeting. And I was like, oh, my God, are we going to make it to this call? And it was very <laughs> on topic for what we're doing because love and money are very connected. And when you get to the stage that you're at now or where I'm at, it's just like shelling out money <laughs> for your love <laughs> to be coming together. So they're very connected. And I yeah. feel <laughs> very on topic right now with what I'm going through. So I'm excited for this. Well, well, good. Yeah. And then like, if you, if you ever have kids, like it doesn't stop the shelling out money. It's just like each stage you're like, okay, here's the next bucket of money. And then the next. Yeah. So they're super connected. Um, amazing. Well, I'm excited to jump into all of that, that you're doing and help a lot of people. My first question before we do that though, is anything that's been on your heart or mind lately, it could be related to your work or really just anything it could be the baby really what's, what's going on with you lately? You know, having, bringing a baby into the home, especially once I'm in, I'm in the third trimester now, it's hard for that not to be my, my main focus, but I'm trying not to like get into like the busyness of got to get this and we got to get these clothes and we got to get her crib set up or whatever, but mm-hmm. more of like the deeper intention of like bringing this new human into our family and how can we set up ourselves emotionally, mentally, spiritually, all those things mm-hmm. to, you know, bring, bring her in. Cause you know, you know, it's going to be newborn time. So no sleep and spit up and yeah. poop and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's, it's so easy to get bogged in down, not just during the newborn phase, but just with kids in general. And so I'm just trying to create space mm. to let it all let it all be. Yeah, I'm sure it's really hard to be like present in the moment and like grounded when you're not sleeping at all and you're being woken up at all hours of the night. 
Yeah, really well, exciting. we're trying this new this time around, so mm. we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, and this new, if you're not familiar, everyone who's had a kid probably has gotten an ad for the snoo, so you know what it is. But if not, it's basically like a robot bassinet that like soothes and plays music and whatever vibrates or whatever but like it does it based on like when it can sense the baby moving Hmm. it's supposed to help you know even newborns not sleep through the night because they still need to eat but at least get longer stretches i feel like i need that for my bed (laughs) sounds really nice (laughs) heat sensors and like whatever well that's so exciting so love and money you are now diving more into the aspect of money in relation to love. And I feel like when people think of love and money, they think of them very differently. Um, yeah. They don't always connect, but I feel like they are very connected. And I would love for you to explain what that connection is between the two. One thing that I'm like low-key obsessed with is astrology. Mm-hmm. So for anyone who's familiar with astrology, and if not, I'll just tell you what you need to know. All of the planets rule like a different aspect mm-hmm. of life, right? And so the planet Venus rules both love and money and so from the surface i'm like that kind of seems weird like you said like they're two totally different parts of life like logging into your bank account doesn't feel the same as like going on a date right (laughs) Um, (laughs) however what is similar is that we often relate to those two things in the same way because we live in a society where we often decide what our worthiness our self-worth is by you know, our relationship status or how much money we have or how much money we make. Mm -hmm. And then we make choices about like what we deserve, what we don't deserve. And I've have found a lot of times, even when I was working exclusively in love coaching with a lot of my clients, they had very similar relationships to, to money as they did to the people that they were dating. So for example, if like they felt like they had to keep trying with this one guy that they kept dating, even though he was kind of a low-key dick to them they would keep trying because well maybe that's the best there is or maybe there's no one else out there and that's like that's a lot of scarcity kind of feeling Uh whereas like you can log into your bank account and have very similar feelings like there's never enough there's never enough and look there might not be enough for future goals or what you want to do but a lot of times those feelings have nothing to do with the actual number in the account Mm. yeah that's true because you can look at it and it could just be like, well, I want more of this. And you can do that with your relationship. Like, oh, I want him to take me exactly. out more, like woo me more. All of the, I could see where those could connect for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so doing the inner work around your relationship with money or relationship with people that you date um, can often influence each other, even if you're not trying. So for example, mm-hmm. when I had a lot of my love coaching clients, a lot of them would just stumble, not even stumble, that's not the right word, but would have an opportunity to apply for a job they never would have applied for before because they thought, well, who am I to apply for that? Or mm-hmm. I'm not qualified for that or to ask for a raise or if they had their own business to increase their prices or whatever. Mm-hmm. Again, that wasn't like their intention or even their goal in working together, but all of those kinds of things just began to happen organically because their overall self-worth improved. We develop the feeling towards both of those, love and money, very early on. Do you know when those things develop for us or do they change over time as we age? Like when does our vision or our own subconscious understanding of what we're 
owed like money and love? When does that come through? I'm sure a psychologist could probably answer this better than me, but I do know that mm-hmm. it's really young and specifically for, for love. Some people would say as early as the womb, um, mm-hmm. there are studies, you know, children of you know unwanted pregnancies or where there was like a lot of regret or even just a lot of like tension between the two people who had this kid uh-huh. um, can have a huge impact on how they perceive their own worthiness or how they get love or how they feel safety or belonging. Because those three words are really essentially what we as humans, we all need love, safety and belonging. And so if you were neglected, for example, in any any way, even as young as an infant, you learned how to get those feelings, at least in other ways or self-soothe in in other ways. And that can absolutely impact you as an adult Mm -hmm. without addressing that through therapy or, you know, trauma therapy or things, things like that. And then with money, I think it's very similar because my son is two years old and he's already beginning to understand the concept of money. And, you know, he'll say things like, oh, mommy bought this for me. Like he doesn't really get it because he's still two. Um, And he's not literally on Amazon shopping, (laughs) but he's beginning to understand this idea that there's some sort of transaction that takes place in Mm -hmm. order to receive his toys or new clothes or whatever that we, that we give him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that your listeners can think back to like, how was money talked about in your house? And you might be really, really young when you think about some of these memories. So you might've heard things like money doesn't grow on trees or what do you think I made of money? Mm -hmm. Or we can't afford that. Or like judgment towards other people who had a lot of money or have a lot of money or judgment on how others spend their money. Mm-hmm. These kinds of beliefs and thoughts you can develop just as early as you start understanding the world around you, which again can be as young as two or three, if not even younger. And again, without addressing these beliefs or looking at these beliefs, they can absolutely impact you as as an adult. And you know, I I've dealt with a lot of money scarcity again, regardless of like how business is doing or the number in my account or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when I look back at my own childhood it's so linear Mm -hmm. right like I grew up in a house believing that I was poor I really thought that we were poor not because my parents literally said we're poor because by the way we definitely were not poor but I believed I was poor because or my family was poor because everything was always a no we couldn't have that or other people could have that but we couldn't or that would be a waste waste of money so I'm like oh I guess we don't have any money we're poor Um, and it wasn't until I was probably in high school when I realized oh my family's not poor, but that scarcity uh-huh. still stuck with me. That's so interesting because it's like our perception as kids. I feel like if you look back on yourself as a child and how you grew up around money or the things that you said, like whatever the narrative was, I think if you look at that and then you look at how you're operating now in real life, you can see a lot of the connections and be like, oh, maybe I feel anxious when I look at my bank account because that was something I saw my mom do or like money was taken away or opportunities were taken away from me because we didn't have money and maybe I'm doing that now. I feel like you can find those connections. If you're interested in in trying to figure out if you have a block or if you have a certain mindset around money or love, like where should you look to figure that out for yourself? The easiest thing is just to ask like, what's my earliest memory around uh-huh. around money or just what were, what were some of the common tropes and it's not going to be like super always clear or so for example mm-hmm. like I thought I was poor growing up because I didn't <laughs> understand um what actually being poor meant and I just uh-huh. took notice from or from what my parents were saying about money at the same time my mom really did instill this idea of pay yourself first pay yourself first and so I started babysitting 
back then, I mean, this is the 90s. I was babysitting at 10 years old. I don't think people babysit that young anymore. That's very early. <laughs> but I was, I guess I was technically like a mother's helper. Like You're I think baby watching babies. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think the mom might have been there, but okay. I was like just entertaining the kids so she could like mm-hmm. run errands or do housework or whatever mm-hmm. she was doing. I started doing that really young, like 10 or 11. And I just told myself, okay, so I'm going to, whatever money I make, I'm going to take half of it and save it. And then the other half, I can do whatever I want with it. And Mm -hmm. so I did that for probably a couple of years. And again, I was babysitting a lot. And there got to be a time where like the box that I was putting the money that I was saving, like literally wasn't big enough for all the cash that I had. So I'm raking it in at 10. (laughs) Yeah. So I took this huge wad of cash into my mom's room and I was like, Hey, I feel like I should like open up a bank account or something. And my mom yeah. like flipped out because she did not realize I had like almost three thousand dollars <laughs> cash as like oh. probably like eleven, maybe twelve year old. Yeah. So there was also that going on too, which helped me develop really good money habits that I do think that I still have today. But again, mm-hmm. there's always like there's also like this more emotional mental piece with money around the scarcity. So it's not going to always be so clear or there can be some conflicting energies for sure. And that's just reflective of the complex nature of just being a human. (laughs) Yeah. We're not so easy to figure out sometimes. Would you say that when you find, say, like, I have this storyline about money and it's kind of a block, say, I, it's like, I don't feel good enough to be rich or something. Maybe that's your story, whatever. Would that also reflect in relationship? Because I feel like some people can get confused and be like, well, I have a relationship and I don't feel like I have enough money, but I do have a relationship and we're pretty happy. Like, is there a through line or is it not exactly the same? Yeah. I mean, look, like I've seen that kind of mentality a lot in my love coaching Mm -hmm. aspect of the business. Like I've seen a lot of people who it's like parallel. It's like so clear. (laughs) It's like so clear to me because they either can't or don't want to make the investment in coaching because there is probably some sort of block around like, well, who am I to either A, invest this money or B, have the relationship that mm-hmm. I that mm-hmm. I really want, you know? So I do think that it is super common to have that parallel between those two, mm-hmm. those two camps. But like, does it mean that if you don't feel like you're worthy or good enough to be rich, that you're not capable of being in a relationship? Like, No, because again, like humans are complex, but there's very few like steadfast rules that Mm. never break or that apply to all situations. Like it's totally possible to be in a great relationship, but then have some hangups around money. And that can happen for any number of reasons. You know, maybe like there really was a healthy dialogue around money, Mm -hmm. for example, or relationships, or you you had a secure attachment with mom and or dad or whoever Mm -hmm. was raising you. And so that allowed you to have a more healthy or made it easier to have a healthy relationship, but then they had some money stuff. And so now you're just Mm -hmm. dealing with the money stuff, right? Just because I do find it super common for there to be parallels, it doesn't mean that there's parallels 100% of the time. It's also kind of like how a lot of my clients, especially again, in the love coaching piece, um, will often struggle in romantic relationships and also friendships. They realize, oh, my friends also kind of suck too. And I'm kind of a people pleaser to them as well. But then not always, like some of my clients have amazing female relationships, but then when it comes to their romantic interests, like it all just falls apart. And, you know, that can be due to any number of reasons. So, so yeah, sometimes there's parallels. When you figure out what your story is, or if you do have a block, maybe one or the other, what are some ways that you can work through that or like try and shift out of those places. So one inner child work, Uh and that's a big 
you know, that's a big tool that we talked about in, in the last episode. Mm-hmm. You can literally replace that episode where I talk about inner child work and love and relationships with money and it, <laughs> and it still applies. Yeah. I really love actually using EFT, which is the emotional freedom technique mm-hmm. when it comes to money. So what are all of the beliefs that you have that don't really serve you or that keep you stuck or keep you, you know, just kind of holding, holding yourself back a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, I do find that there's, I don't know what it is. There's something about EFT that really just works really well for me and my clients mm-hmm. and money specifically. I think it works in other areas of life too, but I've just personally found the most success in, in money. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of times I find with money, just being able to recognize some of your patterns just helps you to, to shift it. And I think it's easier to do that with money than it is in like something like a relationship because a relationship, there's two people involved. Mm. And so there's a lot more negotiation and you're dealing with your stuff and then they're dealing with their stuff and then you're dealing with each other's Mm -hmm. stuff and it can get a lot messier. But when you're talking about like your money and you're looking at your bank account or your budget, or you want to potentially purchase an investment for your retirement or something like that, your bank account's not literally talking back to you. Yeah, it goes up and down. <laughs> and, yeah, it might go up and down. It might make you feel a lot of things, yeah. but it's just your stuff. Uh-huh. There's no one else's stuff involved. And so I find just being able to recognize what you're doing, the habits that you have that may or may not be serving you, I just find them easier to change just with simple awareness. Um, but I don't find that to be as doable in relationships because you can have awareness, but then you can also be tempted because someone else is like dangling a carrot mm-hmm. in, in front of you. Now, obviously with money, there's other people involved. I know we're going to talk about relationships and, and mm-hmm. money. So it's, it's again, it's not like totally cut and dry, but I do find that awareness can take you a lot further. You can just be like, oh, like I didn't realize yeah. that I could invest. Mm-hmm. And then all you do is literally click, click a button and you've invested. Like it's fine. It's, it's, yeah, not, it's as, not as, as like a big complex. I do have two questions. Yeah. One, can you explain what EFT is if people don't, aren't aware? And so EFT stands for the emotional freedom technique. Uh-huh. It's basically a system where, or a practice where you have different acupressure mm. points on your face. Um, and then there's some parts on your body as well. So I know this is audio, but it's like your third eye, basically between your mm-hmm. eyebrows, it's your temple and then your eye bone, like underneath your eye, and then right above your lip, mm-hmm. your upper lip, and then right below your lower lip. And then some people will also do collarbone, mm-hmm. then um, like your bra strap, mm-hmm. and then the top of your head. And you just tap five to seven times um, in each spot, and you just keep going around. And as you're tapping, you say um, a series of affirmations or statements. Yeah. There's lots of different methods, I guess you could say. What I like to do is use the phrase, even if, and then I enter in like the limiting belief. So even if I stay poor the rest of my life, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. Even if I will forever and always suck with money, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. And as I'm doing that, I'm Mm -hmm. tapping. Um, So basically you say, even if, and then you enter in whatever the belief is that is driving a lot of your habits or beliefs around money. And then you say, I deeply and completely love and accept myself. And so what that's basically saying is like, even if this worst case scenario was true, Mm -hmm. you could still love and accept yourself. And when you think about it, like that's actually a pretty radical thing because a lot of times loving and accepting ourselves is conditional, right? Well, I can love and accept myself if I'm in a relationship or if I have this job or if I make this much money or if I'm this weight or Mm -hmm. whatever. But if you can say, yeah, well, even if I always suck at money, I can still love and accept myself. Even if I never have a million dollars, I can still love and accept Mm -hmm. myself. Or again, 
whatever it is. And that can be enough to break some of the deeply rooted belief system so that then it's easier to take different action again, like saving or investing or not engaging in retail therapy as much, things like that. That's a tough one to undo. (laughs) EFT actually is really crazy. I've tried it before and I usually do it in the shower because I feel like it's just like I can do it while I'm Uh just like relaxed. It sounds very like woo and I don't believe you, but when you do it, I like got ill after like you because it removes something in my body because they say like your body holds trauma or your body holds like emotions. And I was like, I feel nauseous after. So it definitely does something. Put it in the woo camp as Mm -hmm. well. But like I my therapist has done Mm -hmm. EFT with me and like therapists have a lot of restrictions like they can't engage in like you know, witchiness, magical kind of thinking (laughs) that someone like a life coach like me Mm -hmm. can 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 do, you know, if if that's helpful. Like acupuncture is, you know, covered by many insurances. I think there's a lot of research behind acupuncture for various elements. Mm -hmm. And you're essentially, you know, like you're, you're touching acupressure points. So yeah, you know, there's something there for sure. I think when you also brought up how money is a little bit more easy to fix or like unlearn your stories around it. I think what's interesting too with the relationship side of it, maybe money will bring up like say if you have a storyline around money, maybe it's not like the money reacts in a certain way, but maybe it's like your boss is triggering you in a certain way or like your coworkers or something. I don't know if you have any examples of that or like a story that you could be telling yourself where that could be showing up in the relationships at work or things like that. I'm not saying that like no one else is involved Mm -hmm. in your money because especially again in romantic relationships, Mm -hmm. they certainly are, but then also coworkers or, and especially bosses because a lot of times bosses can be the gatekeepers to how much money you Mm -hmm. make or raises or, or promotions. And so if there's something specific about your boss that might be triggering a core wound, Mm -hmm then it might be a lot more difficult for you to approach this person and ask for a raise or negotiate, you know, a promotion or whatever that your salary is that you're that you're negotiating. So I remember my first job, I didn't negotiate, I think it was because I was still in this space where I was, again, I was always good with money, Mm -hmm. but I've always felt very uncomfortable with money. Mm. And I remember, again, because I grew up in this mindset, or belief that I was that I was poor, Mm -hmm. I developed this belief that having money means you're bad, Mm. like in some way, like, like you're greedy, or you're just like ruining the earth or the world or whatever, like the idea that like a good person doing good stuff for the world could also be wealthy was like, beyond me, like what (laughs) that could exist in the same person, like, didn't understand that concept. And so that was a really strong just worldview Mm -hmm. that I had. And so my first job, I I think I was offered like $45,000 base and it was working. I was working at a law firm. So it was like hourly. So there was opportunity for bonuses. And, Mm -hmm. but then I, when I look back on it, I'm like 99.5% sure that the guy who had that job before me made more than, Mm. made more than that. Yeah. And, but I didn't ask because who might have more money Mm -hmm. or like, it's bad to have more money. So I got to keep myself like at some level of like whatever this arbitrary comfort was yeah. for me. So I wouldn't be quote unquote, a bad person. I think that's a really clear example of like how you can hold yourself back in so many ways and like how much, how much more is available to you when you like let yourself ask for it or believe that you're worthy of having it. And I didn't even realize like this was even a thing until I started my business mm-hmm. almost 10 years ago. Cause then, then you start Googling, like, how do you get clients mm-hmm. or like how to make money? And then like, it's not that long after and, until you're stumbling on Facebook ads about like money manifesting or money mindset or whatever. Yeah. So like, I didn't even realize this was a thing, but it absolutely applies whether or not you have your own business or you, or you work 
in corporate or, you know, work for someone else, like how you relate to money will absolutely impact your overall like net worth because that will impact how much money you bring mm-hmm. in each paycheck. Yeah, we all want more. <laughs> I want to figure <laughs> out more. I would love to talk through some of the practical applications of money and how this mindset applies to things like dating, relationships, and where the connection is. I, one of the questions you said that was very like hot topic-y was who pays for dates. <laughs> yes, is that very, is like... like <laughs> Nothing will generate more conversation on Instagram other than like, who should pay for a first date? Okay, well, look, before we get to to that, before you even consider seriously dating or looking for a serious relationship, I do think it's mm-hmm. important to have your own money house in order. And mm-hmm. when I say that, I don't mean like you have to be making a certain amount of money or you have to have a certain amount saved or you have to have all your debts paid off. Like, I don't think that's necessary. And also yeah. you can keep moving the, the goal the line or whatever. Yeah. You can just keep like, oh, well, I need actually this much money. Oh, I actually need this much money. Yeah. Um, like I'll and- feel ready to date when I have this much in my account or like that. Can yeah. Be working yeah. That is a never ending game. And so like, yeah. forget about that. Um, also, okay. like theoretically, like hopefully everyone's always grow- growing net worth. I know things happen and might set you back or hold you back for a little bit. But for the most Mm -hmm. part, it's an upward trajectory. So like, you're always going to be growing. So you're going to keep growing in your finances, in your relationship, hopefully. And I'll talk, hopefully we'll talk about how to (laughs) make sure that can happen or or best best your chances. Um, So what I mean by money house is one, I think you need to have a really clear understanding of what your money story is and where your hangups come from. I don't necessarily mean you need to heal all of that because that gets into the sticky conversation of like, oh, I need to be healed before I can date. And it's not true that everyone Mm -hmm. in a relationship is healed and everyone not in a relationship isn't healed. Like that's just not a true thing. And plus like we're always always growing, we're always healing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think you need to have some awareness so that you're less susceptible to financial abuse or manipulation or just like other per- another person's bad financial habits, right? Like if your finances are over the place and you're spending money all over the place and not really saving or not really focusing on retirement or anything like that, and then you mm-hmm. date someone who kind of also has the same thing, like you're so much more likely to then just, if, if you were to continue that relationship, you're so much more likely to have financial problems as a couple. And that's going to yeah. lead to lots of problems and fights and potential breakup or divorce down down the road. But if you're clear on your, let's, we'll just call it money weaknesses, you know, if you tend to be an oversave or an overspender or um, tend to just, you know, not think about money coming in versus money going out or or whatever, mm-hmm. it's really important to have a really clear financial system and when I, or money system. And what I mean by that okay. is, you know, exactly what's coming in, what's going out. And then you're also really clear on where you want to spend your money. I just put a post up on on Instagram about how I I have like piles of baby clothes and um, maternity clothes that I spent 40 bucks on from this other mom and this local Facebook group. And this would have been like hundreds of dollars worth of clothes. I hate spending money. I'm not a clothes person. I don't like spending money on clothes, but I especially don't like spending money on clothes that I'm going to literally use for like Uh a few months. And, yeah. and so that's just, I mean, that's kind of like a simple example, but it's really important to know where you want to spend money. If you like mm-hmm. to spend money on travel, if you like to spend money on your own continuing education or your personal development, or mm-hmm. um, like if you really want to make your home a beautiful Zen-like place, it's important to know that so that you have better boundaries on where you don't want to spend a lot of money yeah. on. So you have resources to put towards what you do want to spend. Mm-hmm. So the more you can just be boundaried in that, the better you're going to be able to one, like 
sniff out some financial incompatibility. Um, but yeah. then also just, you know, have better boundaries within the relationship. That makes a lot of sense too. Cause then you're also not like getting into a relationship that's not good for you because like you, this guy has a lot of money and that's really enticing. Like if you feel at least confident in yourself and you have that set, you don't fall into those traps. Yeah, that that's a, that's actually a great point and another problem that I myself got myself <laughs> got myself into. Like, like, oh, this yes, guy has a lot of money. This is fun. Um, yeah, like and, I remember myself in college. I was like, well, it's a free dinner, so I'm gonna go. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, and and he was yeah, an that can, exactly that can like have you latching onto wrong person for wrong reasons, <laughs> so to yeah. speak. So. Um, yeah, that that's like a whole thing. But like, even if someone else makes more money than you, but like, you're really confident on your spending, saving and investing decisions, then like, mm-hmm. yeah, you still will probably benefit from someone making more money, especially if you move into like a serious relationship. Um, but it's not going to feel as imbalanced or especially mm-hmm. like around the power, especially with money. Mm-hmm. One thing that I also see a lot is, again, and this comes back to like not having clear money boundaries. And this is what I mean by money house or having your money house in order is a lot of guys who are just kind of like, you know, still living on the couch, you know, in their basement of their mom's house. And look, mm-hmm. I'm not, I know we're in a cost of whatever crisis, a cost of everything crisis. Yeah. And so I'm not like talking about people who are, are legitimately like in a, a really tough, you know, place. I'm just talking about people mm-hmm. who can't get their shit together or have every reason to be able to have a decent job and be able to find their own place. And they're just not. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of women I've seen have loaned a lot of money that of course they never get back and get into some real financial issues too. So yeah, anyone could be potentially susceptible to that because anyone can be manipulated. But at the same time, if you have better money boundaries and you know where your money values are, you're much more likely to be like, get your shit together. I'm not dealing with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Are there certain like programs, software, anything like that, that you can recommend or that you normally recommend to people who are like, I think my house is in order, but I would love more tools or ways to understand getting my money shit together. Yeah. So I've been using mint.com for like 15 years, 16, a long time. So long that I don't want to switch because like it has so much of my history on Uh it. It's really gone downhill. And so if I were starting fresh, one program that I have not personally used, but a lot of people love is called Mm -hmm. You Need a Budget. The website is YNAB, like you need a budget, just like the initials. Mm -hmm. So YNAB.com. Mint's good. I like it, but they sold to Intuit, I don't know, like six or Mm -hmm. seven years ago and Intuit just let it go to shit. (laughs) Great. So maybe they'll fix it one day. (laughs) One other thing you mentioned was like, what we would get to is like how to keep that upward trajectory of making more money or growing in your relationship or whatever that is. Like some ways that you recommend your clients to do that or to help with that. I mean, honestly, the best way is to invest. (laughs) And I don't mean like crypto or basically anything other than a boring old index fund. <laughs> mm-hmm. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mm-hmm. 
you know, there's so many, someone commented one of my things on social media one time, they're like, you know, if you talked about crypto, you get a lot more followers. And I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. Um, (laughs) Look, you're going to hear about unicorns all the freaking time, right? Like Uh there are stocks Uh that are like individual stocks that are unicorns. There are housing investments that are unicorns. There are crypto unicorns. There are venture capitalist unicorns and all that, Mm -hmm. you know, is great, but it is a pure gamble. And if you want to do that because you think it's interesting or you like it, you've got to make sure you have some other things in place first so that you can potentially go through like a bad investment, (laughs) a a loss. Love HTV, but like, don't fall for it that like you can make a bunch of money flipping houses or renting out houses because there are so many hidden costs they don't want you to know about. Also, the yeah. prices they list are just like, my, my husband actually does real estate investing. And he's like, uh-huh. that's not what a new kitchen costs. <laughs> yeah. Well, I keep seeing TikToks of people like revealing that they were an HGTV house and how shitty the job that they actually did. But they oh. just did it for the show really quick that they just like covered their countertops in like a cardboard plastic thing oh and God. made it look like marble like all of these things that people are unveiling Ugh. which is really crazy yeah. yeah investing though is the best way to do it i like to just do index funds you okay. buy them through vanguard or schwab or fidelity those are all discount brokerage firms which means that mm-hmm. they're cheap to maintain those accounts and they grow seven to ten percent average a year now, like the last year and a half, like things have gone down. So if you do have a mm-hmm. retirement account, you probably noticed. Um, but like the past like 10 years before that, it's gone straight up. So it all averages out and it's the only investment that has that consistent growth. Not even houses, not even your primary residence has that same kind of long-term over the 20, 30, 40, 50 year period has that kind of growth. I mean, I could say a lot of things about investing. I won't go too much into it. I have some resources for your listeners after if they're interested, but investing in index funds is the best thing you can do to build your net worth over the long term. Let's get to who pays for day. Yes. It's so hard because actually when I I posed this question on TikTok and I got really great Mm -hmm. responses from both sides, like most things, I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think there's a nuance, but here are some top line thoughts. And, And this, by the way, like is a great just, hey, do you want to split this or whatever? Like just starting that money conversation like right away Mm -hmm. from literally date one is going to be so good for your relationship. So, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than just letting the bill awkwardly sit because he doesn't want to pay for it and you think he should pay for it, like that's no good. I would even Mm -hmm. argue letting him, if he does grab for it, but you don't offer, I would say that's not even great either because because it just mm-hmm. again it's not because I think you should pay for half of it or whatever but I think because it's just helpful to start the money conversation literally on day one um, so true. I recommend always just like offering do the wallet grab the person the reach. yeah the, but I, I I think it's just good in the sense of like long-term financial health of your relationship mm-hmm. I think some reasons why uh, people say men should pay is one it's like expected it's chivalry it's yeah. what romantic it's like they're treating you mm-hmm. or it's etiquette, like all of those things. And like, I'm like, okay, sure. Like I remember when I was dating, like I certainly appreciated that and would, would often pay for our first date. Um, I've also heard some arguments that in most generations today, men still make a lot more than women. So you should fucking pay. Um, Also (laughs) women have, especially because of the patriarchy, have a lot more pressure to spend money on skincare or yeah. like other like beauty or self-care treatments. expensive. 
Yes, that like men don't have those kind of like financial pr- or pressures and then, yeah. you know, which obviously involves money. Mm-hmm. And I think those are really great and valid and valid points, honestly. Yeah. You know, the reason for splitting or the arguments for splitting are that like, is it really feminist <laughs> for the the man to always pay? And like, I don't think that argument totally checks out, to be honest. Like, I think someone can pay and you can still be a feminist. Mm-hmm. But like, I hear what they're trying to say. Yeah, I think one of the most compelling arguments for splitting is that dating is expensive if someone is like actively looking for someone and if they're Mm -hmm. always obligated to pay for at least the first date like to me that I mean that's just really expensive and that might keep some people out of being able to to date or like especially if women are expect have a certain expectation they might say like oh well let's just do coffee rather than like dinner Mm -hmm. and then like the woman could be like, well, coffee, like, blah, blah, blah. but like, she may not know that he's gone on like 10 coffee dates yeah. that week or whatever, like it all he's hustling to... dates out here <laughs> it costs a lot of money. And, and I do mm-hmm. think that is probably the most compelling reason. Um, but overall, like, I think though, first dates should be free or as cheap as possible, because like, yeah. kind of want to get to know the person before you know, if you want to spend more time and also money on the person. Yeah. So whether it's just a quick drink or a coffee, or I used to live in DC. That's where I met my husband, like just going to a museum. I mean, I know that not everywhere has free museums like DC does, but you mm-hmm. know, walks in the park, zoos, yeah. things like that. Um, not only are those those things cheaper, but also less awkward because like when you're on a yeah. first date and you're like literally sitting across the table, there's a lot Boring of pressure thing. to fill in like all of the quiet spaces. But like yeah. that's actually not normal <laughs> when you're with when someone. You're just that meeting you know. a stranger and sharing a steak and like Yes. So like if you like are looking at something, like if you're going to the park and you're like kind of people uh-huh. watching or you're at the zoo or a museum or something like that, um, then there's gonna be natural moments of silence, but it's not gonna feel as awkward as it would if you were just like sitting at a table across from That's each so other. True. So so then let's say you continue to date this person, mm-hmm. then I think you can have more involved conversations without literally being like, how much money do you make? Or what's what's in your spreadsheet or whatever? Yeah. So some of my favorite questions are one is, what would you do if you won the lottery? Mm-hmm. And this isn't necessarily like a money specific question, but it kind of gives you a sense of like what their big goals and dreams are. And yeah. that's very much tied money yeah like what would they want to spend if they just got like a life-changing amount of money like what would they Mm -hmm. want to spend it on like would they want to start a foundation if so for what Mm. cause would they just want to buy 10 million houses would they want to like I don't know go travel the world for the rest of like who knows but I think it's just a really it's a really fun question I I still ask my husband this like from time to time just because it's like it's a fun question to to ask Another question you can ask that's actually a little more practical is hey how do you feel about current level of are spending, you know, going out with each other because dating can often, especially the early stages of dating, you're often spending a lot more money than you might normally on going out to dinner or going out to drinks. And that might be fine because you might, you know, plan for that or kind of expect that. But then like once you get to like, I don't know, date five, six or a couple months in or whatever, you might think about, I don't know if I want to go out to dinner like all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I'd rather spend money elsewhere. And so you just have a conversation like, are you okay with current levels or would you like to back a little bit and we can mm-hmm. go to each other's houses or just you know get drinks and not do dinner as much or whatever and again this just yeah. helps bring in that dialogue of like how much do you want to spend and I know it's just talking about very one small part of life but it's just about starting the conversation early so that when you do mm-hmm. need to have bigger conversations around money more complicated conversations or more touchy conversations around yeah. money 
It's not like the first time you're ever talking about money together. And then another question that I really love, this is similar to the lottery question, but it's a little different. Mm -hmm. This is, what would you do if you had an extra $5,000? And Mm -hmm. I like this because $5,000, it's a lot of money, but it's not a life-changing amount. Yeah. Well, I mean, meaning like no one's retiring off of 5,000. No one's, you know, quitting their job off of 5,000. Especially not in this economy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But with 5,000, you might be able to go on a nice vacation or you might Mm -hmm. be able to pay off debt or you might be able to, I don't know, do a lot of things. So this question really gets more at like, how do they actually spend money now? Okay. Um, are they a spender? Are they a saver? Do were they just like, oh, I would just go here and I'd go like blow money there and da 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 da. Like for me, that would be a huge turnoff. Like I'm all about like you know having a little bit of fun with your money, but I'm also like, but let's put some of that in yeah, our retirement accounts or up. let's like save some of it for like a big uh-huh. trip we want to do later on or whatever. So kind of just help you see like if you have at least compatible financial values. Um, mm-hmm. And again, you can ask these questions really anytime. Like. I would say anywhere between like after date three or four to like, I asked all these questions to my husband recently and, um, you know, we've been together for 10 years. So I think you can ask him whenever, (laughs) but I think you can ask him very early on. And it's not like the high pressure questions or like what feels personal, like what's your credit score? How much money do you make? Like, I do think those conversations do have to come up, especially when you talk about merging finances, Yes, Um, but you're not necessarily going to ask that, nor is it some would say not appropriate, you know, date mm-hmm. four or whatever. Yeah, you might scare people a little bit. <laughs> yeah. The idea of joining finances or even like moving in together, their yeah. money comes up. Because yeah. like what if you're moving into their place or if you're getting a new place together or yeah. are you paying for things separately or some people paying for these bills? Like how – what do you recommend for people with around that? Yeah, okay. So this is when you need mm-hmm. to start having conversations around how much you're both making. And um, Mm. ideally, also, you do get a new place together. Um, And that's not necessarily because of money. (laughs) That's just so it both feels like yours together rather than like either your place that he's like trying to find room in or his place. Or you just redo their entire house. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I understand it's not always possible. And like, you you know, their logistics, but like, if possible, I do find it's best if okay. it's a brand new place. But this is where you want to know salaries and this is where you want to know credit score because mm. that will impact potentially your rent or your mortgage if you're buying a place together or taking out okay. any other kind of shared accounts. And so this is mm-hmm. where it's time to like start having what feels like more uncomfortable conversations, but hopefully because you've always been talking about money from day one, it doesn't yeah. feel as weird as it could. And then in terms of how you split things, I think mm-hmm. things should be equitable to the overall amount that you make. So for example, I just need to do easy math. Like let's say you're between the two of you, you you both bring in together a thousand dollars a month. I know that's like okay. you know, no just for math. <laughs> I just need yeah. like an even number, right? Um, but let's <laughs> say six hundred of that is yours and then four hundred of that is your your partner. You don't okay. want to divide your expenses fifty fifty the person who makes less money is actually subsidizing you because let's say like you bring in a total of a thousand dollars, but your expenses are a total of $800 and you, and you, and you split that 50, 50, you're spending $400 out of your 600, meaning you have $200 of fund money left over and your partner is spending $400 out of their $400 that they're bringing in. So they have nothing left. 
right? For like yeah. their own expenses. So you want it to be equitable. If you're bringing in a thousand and um, total expenses are 800, you okay. want to pay 60% of whatever the shared expenses are. And then your partner pays 40% of the shared expenses. Okay. And that means you have then equal, not equal, but equitable amounts left over for your own personal spending of whatever you want to do with that money. That makes sense. Cause it's based on like what you're making essentially is what you're yeah. putting out. Yeah, for sure. So then beyond that, in terms of like joint accounts or separate accounts, regardless, everyone needs to have at least one account that is just theirs. You know, if you want to go out with your friends, you don't have to be like, hey, can I have some money or is this okay? Like, you know, you you put your money in towards yeah. your shared expenses, then you have your money and you can go do what you want with it. Mm-hmm. Some couples will have a shared account for their shared expenses. So basically what happens is like each person brings, has, you know, has their salary, their certain amount of money that they're bringing in each month. And then you put in mm-hmm. a agreed amount of money from each partner into the shared account. And then from the shared account, that's where mm-hmm. you pay mortgage or rent and utilities and groceries and car insurance, like whatever else, just shared fixed expenses. Yeah. And then you have your own accounts to do whatever you want with. I don't personally do that. Like my husband and I have talked about doing that for years, but we've always just kept things 100% 100 separate. Part of that is because like I'm a little anal about my money and I have like, I have like so many accounts because like if I want to like save for a trip, I'll like open a savings account just for that. And so I can see like that Mm -hmm. money specifically for that trip. Yeah. So it's super organized and like it drives my husband crazy and he's like so overwhelmed by it. But to me, it's like, oh, it's a thing of beauty. I love it. (laughs) Um. And so we're just like, you know what, like, let's just agree, like approximately, like how much, like we'll divvy up the expenses and we're just each responsible for a different aspect of, you know, their living expenses. And then we both have leftover money that we can do whatever Mm -hmm. you want with. Now, in addition to shared expenses, especially if you are in like a lifelong relationship, you know, whether it's marriage or not, but like, you're just like in a lifelong partnership, you need to have agreements around who's saving for what. Um, So you need to have like a joint emergency fund or at least someone is in charge of the emergency fund. What's a good number for an emergency fund? Like what's a goal? I say like three to six months of pared down living expenses at a minimum. However, I do think it needs to be closer to six months to 12 months of pared down living expenses. If you have kids, if you have a house, because you're going to have maintenance or repairs, if you have a business. I mean, honestly, though, like corporate jobs these days, like people can get laid off. So I don't know if having a business is that much more risky. So if you have like expensive things or expensive hobbies, um, again, or pets or kids or houses Uh or expensive cars or cars that are expensive to repair, you know, you'll want to have more put away so that when and if things do come up, you'll have more money, you know, to to help you with that. Think about three to six months. It's not like current spending. It's like three to six months of like, oh shit, this has to be our new budget until things change. (laughs) What about the situations if like you're a stay-at-home mom or if you're planning for that? Like, what do you recommend to those people like to keep a separate thing or like you get an allowance from your husband or like what, how does that work? Definitely still need your own 
bank accounts. So you're not a hundred, mm-hmm. cause like that, you just have to have really open conversations around how it's both of your money and not his yeah. money that he's then giving to you. It is important for each person to still have their own accounts. And so in, in like your, like, if this is the case for like a mom and like the husband's is, is working, then, mm-hmm. you know, like at the beginning of the month, when he gets his paycheck, you know, ideally he has automated transfers going from his bank. Right. So he has automated transfers to his retirement to the kids for 529 um, to his mm-hmm. own savings. And then he just has an automated transfer to whatever his wife's account is. And that can be a, an agreed upon a, amount. So it's not mm-hmm. like allowance is like, oh, there's all these transfers that I have to do that automatically come yeah. out of my account. You never want to be in a place where like you have to ask for money. You can have an agreement mm-hmm. around like this is the max amount of like this is our maximum that we spend without consulting the other. Right. So that might be, mm, yeah, I've heard people, yeah, that might be 200 that. or a thousand or 500. It doesn't yeah. matter what the number is. You just need to have an agreed upon amount where if someone mm-hmm. wants to make a purchase that is bigger than that amount, it's not that the other person's asking for permission. It's just, it's kind of like when you want to like plan a night with your friends, you're not asking your husband, like, can I go out with my friends? <laughs> but you're just saying, like, yeah. hey, like, I want to go out with my friends this night. Does that work for you? You know, to make yeah. sure that he doesn't have to work late, there's someone to watch the kids mm-hmm. or like whatever, mm-hmm. you know, so he's aware of it. Yeah. So Check it's kind it. of like the same thing with like a larger purchase. It's not really asking for permission. It's just like, hey, do you have any big expenses coming up? And, you know, because that might mean it's not the right time for you to make a yeah. big expense or whatever, or vice versa. Even a stay at home mom like will need or a stay at home dad or whoever will yeah. need their own account. So they have their own autonomy. And this just helps maintain the power balance and reduce like financial abuse or manipulation or and again like this stuff is so much easier when you start talking about money from day one rather than talking about it like oh we're getting married I guess you're talking about money now (laughs) like that would be yeah (laughs) that'd be tricky yeah it just sounds like a lot of conversation and like setting up these systems before they become an issue or before they become like a point of contention because if you don't have them in place and life happens as it does that can add strain onto the relationship that might not even be necessary without, like, if if you had had these conversations beforehand. You know, I think you can't be too detailed. Like, my my husband and I, we have a spreadsheet of every single expense we can think of, like, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, whatever. And so we're clear on who pays for what. And also, we can just see the numbers and, like, see whose percentages or, you know, make sure it's roughly equal to, like, what we're both bringing in. But I would also say you do the mm-hmm. same thing with like household chores. And it's really about thinking yeah. about your relationship like a business. You know, you've got the romantic part of the relationship, which is like why you like the person, why you wanted mm-hmm. to marry the person, like the fun things you do together. Um, mm-hmm. But then you have the business. When you think about it, especially when you're married and living together, you've probably got some real estate that you either rent or own and you've got to maintain that real estate and then you might have some people to manage aka kids or animals to manage aka pets mm-hmm. and so you just have to know like okay what's coming in what's going out this begins to look a lot like a business and so you just have like these business mm-hmm. meetings whether it's monthly or annually or quarterly or just when big life things happen like a kid or a new, a new big purchase or whatever 
And you just like, it's like you're having mm-hmm. a meeting with your business partner. You just look at the numbers and you just run the numbers. Who's doing what? Who's paying for what? Who's responsible for what? And that way, if something doesn't get done, it's not like, oh, well, you were supposed to do that. You can look at the spreadsheet and see exactly who was supposed yeah. to do that. And then the other, ideally, you know, that person then steps up and takes care of what they need to take take care of. And I know this feels like the least mm-hmm. romantic thing ever, but I always say like, if there's bills unpaid or this is in the sink. No one's having sex because someone's pissed, you know? And yeah, so like, just get all that stuff, run it like a tight ship. And that will actually give space mm-hmm. for your romantic relationship to breathe because you're not going to be fighting about all that stuff mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. And then you can have those things in order and then you can realize like, oh, we have money to take a vacation together. Or we have yeah. money to go on more dates or like things like that. You can like choose together. I think that is romantic in a way. Like how are you guys going to spend your money as a couple or... How are we going to better ourselves with the money that we're making or any of those things? So, yeah, for sure. You can have like those bigger conversations around like, how do we want our money to help us create the life, but then also relationship that we want. And that's where it can get really like, it really can be a point of connection. And also it can be really fun and exciting because you're like, it is fun and exciting. You know, it doesn't have to always be like this loaded, like, oh, we got to talk about money (laughs) kind of, kind of thing. I love that. Um, I feel like I learned so much. I loved this conversation. I guess before we go, any like thing that you want to debunk around money or money stories or anything like that? I think one of my favorite things to debunk is that knowing your money really well and being able to manage your money really well is for people of all income and net worth levels. Like on the one hand, like people who, again, whether real or not, but feel like they don't have a lot of money or they aren't rich or whatever, feel like, oh, well, financial planning is for rich people or whatever, not not for me. Or they might resist yeah. and maybe even rebel from having a budget or like knowing where their money goes because like, oh, well, rich people don't have to do that because they just have so much money and they can just spend it everywhere. But I don't think any of those things are are true. I think a lot of times rich people either stay rich or, and I know there's a lot of privilege and there's a lot of things wrapped up in that. But generally speaking, I do think it's true that rich people either become rich or stay rich because like have learned money and they know how to invest well and save well and spend where it really matters and not spend where they don't want it to don't want to spend money. I always talk about like every penny has a purpose, right? And so like they, they're like sometimes the epitome of that. And I think looking back at my own money story, I can see like my parents kind of judging, like my aunt and uncle are like very, very wealthy compared to my parents, even though we were, again, we were fine. My aunt and uncle wouldn't spend money on certain things. They're like, oh, so cheap. Like rich people are just cheap or whatever. It's like, well, maybe they just got really, well, part of the reason why they got really rich is because, or stayed rich also is because they're really smart about smart it. About and it. so yeah. I think just being smart with yeah. your money is good for you, no matter how much money you have, because even if it's not a lot or it doesn't feel like a lot, the more you know what's coming in, what's going out, the easier it is to grow what is coming in. But then you're going to build that confidence and that self-worth to ask for more money at work or apply for those jobs that you thought you would never get or start that side income stream mm-hmm. or whatever it is. So like have a budget, be meticulous, learn about money. That's not just for rich people or whatever. It's 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 really for everybody and everyone can mm-hmm. benefit from it. So good. I loved this so much. Veronica, where can people find you, follow you, work with you, and then those resources that you want to drop to help people yeah. if they want to learn more, if they want to get into investing or anything like that? I am on... Instagram and TikTok. And I post daily 
um, money lessons there that ideally you can read or listen in a minute or less, but it might be like more like 90 seconds. And I talk about investing, saving, budgeting, all that kind of stuff. Um, my name on both the platforms are Veronica E. Grant. And then I have two free resources. One is two money meditations. Um, the first my meditation is around like feeling stress and scarcity around money. And then the second one is around when making a spending decision, like should I spend this money or should I not? I take you through a meditation to help you decide that. And you can grab that at mm. veronicagrant.com forward slash money meditations. And then I mm. also have a, a women in money financial checklist. So if you're listening to all this mm -hmm. and you're like, okay, she talked about this, talked about this, but like, you're not really sure where you are financially or where your financial house is. This just takes you through like what to do step-by-step. This is not like a checklist you do in like five minutes, but just something you refer back to over time. So you can see where your spending is, where your saving is, where your investing is, and then kind of just like check your financial health, so to speak. And you can get that also at fraudicagrant.com forward slash money checklist. I will link all that below in the show notes. And mm -hmm. again, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for coming back. Yeah. Thanks for having Absolutely. me. This was super fun. I hope that everyone learned something from this. I did. So there's that. <laughs> that is it for me today, you guys. Thank you so much for being here and for listening. Before you go, make sure that you rate, review, follow, subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And in the spirit of sharing, be sure to share the podcast with a friend or give us some love on social media and tag us at something to share podcast on Instagram. See you next Wednesday.